Josh asked several weeks ago if I would be able to come and fill in for him this morning and what an honor it is to do so. You know, he says every week before he steps down from this pulpit, he says, I love you and I love being your pastor. And I just think it's appropriate to publicly say back to him that I love him, that we love him and his family. And we love the fact that he is our pastor. So please, yes. Amen. And the fact that he would allow me to, to step in this morning is a great honor indeed in every way. And, you know, how do you, how do you start? These last four years of our lives have been uh, an incredible transition. It's been uh, filled with highs and lows. And I guess I bring you officially today greetings from the swamp for whatever that's worth. <laughs> and uh, it may not be worth much, but we are in the fight of our life for this country. And as Sky... Uh, led us just a few moments ago, we understand the heart of it all. The battleground is a spiritual battle. And more than anything in this world, we need in this country God uh, back in his rightful place in America today. So here's what I want to do. I wanna, I've got a simple message. I have a one-point message. That ought to be good enough for all of us to remember. So we got one point. Now I'm going to flavor it uh, with some... Uh, seeing that this, this is the week of July 4th, I'm going to put in some patriotic thoughts along the way, but we're only dealing with one point. And so what I want to do, I want to go to two passages of Scripture, one that will kind of set the table, and the second one is actually the point of the message and where we're going. So if you would look with me in Romans chapter 13, I want to kind of set this up in light of where we are biblically, in terms of our role as Christians, specifically in this passage, as it relates to government. Then we're going to go beyond that, but I just want to lay this out, as I said, to kind of set the table. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. I happen to have with me today the New King James Version, so if you have something different, yeah, you won't have any trouble following along. But Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject. Not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this... You also pay taxes. I wish this part was not in here, but it is. Because, not, uh, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. 
All right, now this passage, now our next passage, we're going to go to Matthew 5, but this one right here just kind of lays the table out for us. Let me tell you what we have in Scripture that many people, many believers in particular, don't recognize. God is the author, the originator of three different institutions in Scripture. One is the family, and generally speaking, we as believers understand our role in the family. We understand God created this, and we try our best to fill that role. The second institution is the church. God instituted the church. And again, most believers, we, we don't struggle with that. We know we don't need to forsake our assembling together. We understand we come and we build one another up. We study together and we go out into this world together. We understand our role in church. But the third institution created by God in Scripture is government. And although I do believe we as believers, as the body of Christ, we are beginning to turn the corner in, in uh, so far as it relates to our understanding of that truth, for decades now, as a general rule, believers have kind of backed away from role of government. And we have accepted all sorts of things like separation of church and state. We just shouldn't go there. We ought not be involved. Or we've accepted things like, you know, God is sovereign. Just let that, what's going to happen is going to happen. Uh, and, and there's a degree of truth in that. There's no, there's no question about that. Uh, but we've got all kinds of reasons for staying out of this thing that God himself instituted. Now, let me give you the parameters of this and what, what this is all about and why God did it this way. Uh, at least from my understanding. God knew that, that we are but flesh and blood. We are but humans. And as such, you and I need parameters in which to live. Parameters in which a civil society exists. And so, God instituted this thing called government. And as it says very clearly here, government exists to give us parameters within which to live civilly with one another. And it, as long as we live within these borders, these boundaries, then there is nothing to fear. But if we get outside of these boundaries, the scripture says here very clearly, then you have every reason in the world to fear because this is God's instituted minister to keep evil out of the, the territory, so to speak. That's what government is for. Its purpose is to create an environment where civilly people can live with one another and we understand what's right, what's wrong. Now, here's the problem with all of that. Government itself is comprised of people. And if you have, that's right, and if you have evil people or wrong-thinking people in charge of government, then as a result, you're going to have all kinds of skewed understanding of what's happening out here within the parameters of what is supposed to be a civil society. And so it becomes very important, particularly in a country like ours, where we as citizens have the right to be involved, it becomes extremely important to have right, godly-minded people that are involved, right? All right, so 
this is what is just laying the table out for us. All right, now from this, I want us to go a little bit deeper to our one point. And this is going to be real simple. Nothing that you've never heard before. In fact, just the contrary. You're very, very familiar with this little passage of Scripture. But it's one that I want us to go, go with this morning. And then I want to build on it and just add a little flavor to it. And, and perhaps add a little punch to the point of the text this morning. Matthew chapter 5. You're very familiar with this. But beginning in verse 13, look what it says. You, child of God, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how will it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Is that not exactly what's kind of been happening last 15, 20, 30 years? All right. Salt, if it loses its flavor, is good for nothing but to be trampled. And we've seen a lot of that take place. Look, look at verse 14. You, child of God, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. All right, now look. Let's start bringing this down. Here, here's our point. Now, I don't want you to go to sleep after I tell you the point of the passage. But this is it. You see it. God says of you and me as believers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Therefore, be salt. Be light. Be what you are. And I, I guess in, in light of the context of where I want to go, here's the point. I would just break it down to say this. Engage the culture. Engage your culture. This, this includes your family. It includes your neighborhood. It includes your work, your school, wherever it is. God is calling us as his children, as salt, as light in this world to engage it. You realize it is impossible to be salt and light if you're disengaged. So the whole point where I want us to go today, where I want you to enter with me into this text, into this truth that God is giving you. I want you to, to just enter yourself with me. Let's together come into this and, and, and just ask God to broaden our understanding because the truth is it is impossible to be salt and to be light if we are not engaged in wherever it is that God has placed us. So here, here's, the, here's the text. Here's the, me the message. Here's the point. Engage. Engage the culture. Wherever it is you are, be present. Engage it with who you are. Who you are. Salt and light in, the, in this world that God has placed you. Now, let's... Um, this is week of 4th of July, so let me, let me just give a little... I, I want to take this point that you already have... And I want to add a couple of layers to it from a perspective that perhaps you're not, uh, you haven't thought of before. 
And people have asked me, by the way, how in the world did a pastor ever get in politics? How did that happen? And there is a process that God brought us through and, and all that sort of stuff. But what, how does a pastor get involved? How does a pastor know anything about politics? And the person, and that's, I've been asked that many times. And every time I've, I've responded by that, to that question of what does a pastor know about politics, I'll just say, look up square in the eye and say, you have obviously never been part of a Baptist church. Now listen, at least in Congress, I'm only up for re-election every two years. As a pastor for almost 30 years, I thought I was up for re-election every week. You know how that goes. But um, God is taking us, has taken Didi and myself, and I'm honored to have Didi here. By the way, y'all have made us so welcome here at Prince. I cannot thank you enough for that. My dad is here with us today, my daughter and her husband, and we've got a couple of grandkids who are back in the back. Uh, thrilled to have them here with us today. But, you know, here, here's the thing. People say politics is dirty. Man, you got that right. It is a, a world of its own that I've never dreamed of. And, and it's fearful sometimes, quite frankly. But here's the truth. God has made us and calls us salt and light to engage this world. Now, come on, y'all. This is what it's all about. Wherever any of us have been placed, it is for the purpose of entering into that place as salt and light, as a representative of Almighty God. That's the point. Now, let's go with this. Because there's another layer of this thing that I want you to grasp. And that is the world in which we live right here in the United States. Let's go back real quickly. I want to give you some thoughts. Many of you probably had to memorize portions of, if not all of, George Washington's farewell address when you were kids. I know you have forgotten that, as uh, most have, but you will remember probably this portion that I would say to you. In the, and keep in mind, this was, this was the first time it ever happened in America. We'd had a great president, the country loved him, he was a godly guy, and now he is passing the baton to someone else, first time in our nation's history that one leader whom everyone seemed to love is stepping back and he's giving the baton to another. There were many in our country thought this was going to be the beginning of the demise of passing that baton away from Washington. In his farewell address, Washington made this statement. He said, of all the dispositions and habits that lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain, he went on to say, in vain would that person claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these two pillars of human happiness. Now catch this, a couple of powerful thoughts here. Religion and morality, he says, are indispensable supports of what you and I have come to know as the American experiment. Indispensable. You take religion or morality out of the equation, these indispensable supports upon which everything else they gave us is hinged upon and resting upon, you remove either or both of these and everything comes collapsing down. And then he went on to say, in vain, you, you cannot even consider yourself a patriot, he said. In vain 
where that man claimed the tribute of patriotism who should labor to, to, to undo these two pillars. Listen, he said you could not even claim to be a patriot if you didn't understand the role of religion and morality in what makes this country work. Wow, have we come a long ways from understanding that. All right, Washington passes the baton. Here comes John Adams. John Adams is the one who made that great quote probably everyone in here knows. But Adams, one of the great architects of the Constitution, he said this. If this paper were the Constitution, it was Adams who said, Our Constitution was written for a moral and religious people. It's totally inadequate for the government of any other. Hear those two words again. Religion and morality. Our Constitution was written for a moral and religious people. Totally inadequate for the government of any other. Wow, what a statement that is. Now here's, here's what I find a lot of people do when they hear that, that quote. They think that's really awesome. That's a good quote. But then they, if you start really getting down to it, they start scratching their heads saying, what in the world does it really mean? What does he mean by that? And by the way, our founders, when they talked about religion and morality, they were not just, uh, just kind of uh, lackadaisical in that. In fact, Patrick Henry is the one who said that our nation was founded not by religionists but by Christians. Not on religion but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many of you remember, y'all remember growing up, you'd, somebody, you'd say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? They got religion. Y'all remember something like that? They got rid that meant so-and-so down there just had an encounter with Jesus Christ, just had a conversion experience. All right, that's kind of what our founders meant. When they're talking about religion and morality, they are talking about the Judeo-Christian principles found in the Word of God. They are talking about that foundation. Now, here, here's what I want to lay out here for you real quickly on this point. Because here's where I'm going with this. We are salt and light. We are to engage the culture. What I want to add a couple of layers to for you is uh, why do Christians need to engage this thing? And I, I, want, to, I want to hit this from a couple of real quick perspectives. First, of, first is this, that, that we have a civic as well as a moral obligation to engage this culture. Now listen to this. All right, here, here, here's where I want to go with this. We have our founders, and I can give you lots of quotes, religion and morality. The indispensable, indispensable supports upon which this whole thing works. You do away with religion and morality, it all comes crashing down. Now, how does that work? Our Constitution won't work except for a religious and moral people. Why is that? All right, now, come in here with me. Let's say we have two towns. Town A, town B. Okay? Y'all, this is simple. Town A is a town that has rejected God, kicked God out of the public square. Town A is a town that is very secular. Sky was talking about what's happened in Boston here. As we've seen, not just there, we've seen it all over our country. More and more secularism grasping hold of us as a culture, as a nation. Let's say town A here is a secular town. God has basically been kicked out of the public square. Now, what kind of behavior would you expect in this kind of town? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, you, you think, I see a bunch of you nodding your head. I mean, you're going to have everything from, I mean, you're going to have all sorts of problems. You're going to have more people, uh, there, there's going to be probably more drug and alcohol abuse. There's probably going to be more domestic violence. There's probably going to be more families falling apart. There's going to be gang violence, more of that sort of thing. Uh, thievery, you're going to have to lock your doors at night. You, you agree with, I mean, these kinds of things come along with secularism. And this is, this is accurate. You can look any, anywhere in the world where secularism dominates. You, you tend to have these type of issues and problems. Now, here's the question. What is the response of government to town A? Well, of necessity, of necessity, government must start getting really involved here because there's so many problems. So we need more law enforcement because we've got thievery and we've got all kinds of stuff. We, we've, got, we've got all kinds of problems here that are generated from this society here. And now the only way we can deal with this, somebody's got to get engaged here. And so of necessity, government has to be very much involved in a secular society. And you look around anywhere where there's secularism, you will see heavy involvement of government. Now let's come over here to town B. Let's say town B is a town that embraces Judeo-Christian principles. And not that everybody here's a Christian. Wish they were, but not that everybody here's a Christian. But as a general rule, this town embraces some biblical values. Things like the golden rule. Let's just take that. Where I'm going to treat others the way I want to be treated. And this town embraces some of those basic Judeo-Christian values as a town. Now what kind of behavior do you get here? Some of you grew up in this town. I, I grew up watching this town, Mayberry. I love Mayberry. This is a town where you, uh, people are kind to one another. Families, for the most part, stay together. Uh, people are hardworking, honest. Yes is yes, no is no. You have a lot less problems with alcoholism and domestic violence and those type of things. You didn't have to, you didn't have to lock your doors at night. Anybody remember that, those days? You didn't have to lock your door when you go to church. Anybody lock your car door today? You, know, you, you didn't have to do these kinds of things in town B. All right, now here's the, the same question. What is the response of government to town B? It's much less involved. And there's some things, I mean, we still need some basic things. But for the most part, government does not have to be nearly as involved because in this town, the people are self-governing their own lives with an authentic understanding of what's right and what's wrong. Now listen, that is what Adams meant when he said, look, this constitution, which by the way is a contract that says we are going to have limited government. Well, the only way you have limited government is when you have people who are self-governing with an authentic understanding of right and wrong. Understand, y'all, it is impossible. It is impossible to have limited government in a secular society. The only environment in which a limited government can exist is in an environment where people are self-governing. And for that reason, 
our founder said, the indispensable part of this whole thing is religion and morality. Without that, there is no such thing as limited government. That's what our founders gave us. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Now, this realization, this understanding, to me, heightens the reason why the Christian presence of being salt and light in our world becomes amplified over and over. And why you and I must come to, the, to grips with the, the need to engage our society, engage our culture with the gospel, engage our culture with the things of God because the truth is it cannot work without it to begin with. And beyond that, people obviously need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But do you all catch this? We are in a country that relies upon, it does not work without the presence of what Christianity brings to the table here. This is what, is, this is what it's based on. Indispensable. And so as we are quiet and as we buy into some of this thing, uh, some of these things that just, you know, uh, religion has no place in it. No, listen, no, 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 no. Just the opposite is the truth. Our system doesn't work without the presence of biblical morality in, in the forefront. Now, real quickly, and I'll go, I'll go quick with these other layers here. Another reason we desperately need to be engaged in this thing in our country is because we have a religious heritage that is greatly, rapidly diminishing. I came home this past week. It was a great week for, for personally. I thought we had great Supreme Court decisions. We were able to move some significant legislation on the floor. We had a a pro-life decision come out of the Supreme Court. We, we, this, was a, this past week was a very satisfying week. One that's kind of rare, to be honest. It was a great week. And I came home with, with uh, just energized, saying, God, thank you to be a part of this right now. But let me, let me share with you, how many of you were alive in 1950, by the way? All right, great. By the way, I'm not raising my hand. This is just kind of a, I'm, I'm inspiring those of you to do so. Uh, all right, let me tell you something that happened in 1950 in our lifetime. At least a third of the people in here this morning. What I'm about to tell you, our lifetime. There was a Supreme Court decision in the state of Florida. So the Florida Supreme Court decision. And in that decision, listen what they said. A people, talking about a country here, they said, this was in actually their decision, a people unschooled about the sovereignty of God, the Ten Commandments, and the ethics of Jesus could have never evolved the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, or the Constitution. Then they went on and said this. There is not one solitary foundation of our democratic principle that did not stem directly from the basic moral concepts embodied in the Ten Commandments. Yo, that's a Supreme Court decision. 
Can you imagine any court having a decision like that these days? I mean, they, you know, they, they'd be thrown out like that. It's unconstitutional. But here's a Supreme Court decision saying, without our nation being aware of the sovereignty of God, the Ten Commandments, the ethics of Jesus, they could have never put together the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of the Constitution. There is not one solitary principle of our democratic policy that did not stem directly from the basic moral concepts embodied in the Ten Commandments. Wow. Now listen, I'll tell you, we have, a, we have a religious heritage in this country that is under attack. And the, the horrifying thing about that is if we lose who we have been as a country, we will continue to shift from town B more and more over to town A. We are being told, it's a godless constitution. We are being told our founders were a bunch of deists. They were not. The majority of them were graduates from, from seminary. I mean, I, we, we could, that's a whole other discussion, and I'm, I didn't even mean to go down that path. But oh, listen, the point is, we have a religious heritage in this country. And it is so important because out of that consists the pillars upon which limited government and maximum freedom exists. And it, it, can, it can't happen without the presence of Christians massively purposefully, intentionally engaging this culture in which we live. All right, thirdly, let me give you this last little layer, and then we'll land the plane. As someone told me earlier, I used to say that all the time at, a, at, a, at Bethlehem, so they said, please say land the plane this morning. So let me hit this last point, and here goes back to the text in Matthew. Above all, everything else that we've talked about this morning, Y'all, we have a biblical mandate to engage our culture. Here's the deal. When, when the scripture tells us that you are salt and light, we as believers understand that that means we are salt and light regardless of where we live in the world. We, we, we may live in another country where freedom and liberty doesn't mean anything. But as a Christian in that country, we still understand the biblical mandate that in that country, we are still to be salt and light, right? When it talks about being salt and light, we know that that means regardless of where we are in this world, God has placed us there to be salt and light wherever it may be. And we understand that. But then we come to the realization that we here are in America. And we, y'all, it's like we have two sails. We, uh, we, we, the, the, the reality is this. We have a system in this country that does not work without involvement of the people. That's what we, the people, is all about. This, we are in a country... Unlike many people in other parts of the world, we are in a country, the whole system of which does not even work without we, the people, stepping up. But beyond that, we have a biblical mandate that says to us, you are to be salt and light right here where you are. Right here, right now, where you are. 
And we, we, we read that in Matthew chapter 5. Look, I, uh, <clears throat> one of my great political heroes, if you will, <clears throat> is James Garfield. For those of you who don't know him, he's not all that well known. He is the only minister ever to be elected president of the United States. In fact, he was assassinated three months after he was president. That's why you don't hear a whole lot about him. But James Garfield <clears throat> was one of these guys that in the context of kind of what we're discussing this morning, he understood this more than anybody I've ever read. Oh, virtually everything I've ever read from this guy, he is pushing the understanding, the knowledge of the importance, the critical nature of Christianity being on the forefront of this country, without which it just won't work. It's just an amazing understanding and so articulate about this. He made a comment that, that has been a great deal to me. In fact, I quoted it to a group of rep representatives just this past week. But Garfield made this statement. Tell me if it's not as applicable today as right here as ever before. Garfield said this, Now, more than ever before, the people are responsible for the character of their Congress. If that body be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, it is because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and corruption. If, he went on to say, if they be intelligent, brave, and pure, it's because the people demand these qualities to represent them in the national legislature. Then he said this, if the next centennial does not find us a great nation, it will be because the people who represent the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of the nation did not aid in controlling the political forces. Isn't that a powerful statement? Now listen, we are in this thing together. And we've got a boatload of problems in this country. And we are progressively watching us go more and more in this direction of secularism. And you and I are in this thing to be instruments of God to turn the tide and bring this thing more over here. And yes, there's a lot of stake at stake politically with all that in terms of our constitution, all that kind of stuff. There's much greater things at stake spiritually and for the kingdom of God at this. And in the midst of this whole thing, God has placed you and he has placed me. And he looks at us straight in the eye and he says, you are salt of this whole thing. You are the light that I have placed right where I have placed you. Engage it. With your family. With your homeowners association. With your local school board. With your place where you work. Your place of employment. With the school where you attend with the city council meetings, with whatever it may be, God, God says to us, I have placed you here not to run for a political office. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about wherever God has placed you, he has placed you there to be salt and light, to engage it for the kingdom, to engage it with the truth 
of his word, to engage it with the love and the grace that you yourself have received from Almighty God. To engage your world because you are the salt and the light in that world where God has placed you. And I just want to say to you, as we are crying out for revival in this country, we have got to be present in this whole thing. We have got to engage it. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to have her finest hour. This is the moment. This is the hour. This is the time for the church to be called forth to say, come on, come on, jump in this thing and engage it wherever you are. Don't back away. So much is at stake. So much is at stake. May God help us to stand up and to enter into the battlefield armed in his armor that he has given us and clothed in his grace and love and mercy and let's step into the world where God has placed us. That is being salt and light and that is who you are. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have taken us from where we have been from who we were and Lord only by your grace only as you could do God you have transformed us by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God being poured out in our lives lavished upon us Lord there may be some here this morning who personally have never experienced your love your mercy Father I pray and I I know the the text this morning is not directed specifically there, but Lord, your spirit is able to draw men and women to yourself this morning who perhaps don't know you or have been running from you, but right now they are sensing the tug of your spirit pleading them to turn from sin and to turn to you for forgiveness and salvation. And God, we pray for that. For others here today who are your children, Lord, I pray your spirit would deeply burn within our hearts of the role that we have in this world where you've placed us. None of it is insignificant. All of it is critical. All of it is about the kingdom. God, I pray that you would stir us, that you would correct us, that you would move us to say to you, yes, Lord, I'm willing to engage. I'm willing to be in my world the salt and light that you've not only called, but you've created me to be. So, Father, we respond to you this morning as you are calling, as you are speaking to our hearts. We respond in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you if you will to stand.